Septicumbit. Hey, this is the Advanced After Combat podcast with uh, Marshall, Jason, and Dave. Podcast where we talk about wargaming, uh, the games, the war games we play, and generally our experiences while we're playing those games. So that's it, and here we go. Here we go. Hey, good job, Dave. What episode number is this? Who cares? Uh, is it five? Five? I don't, I don't that's know. That's why I'm it, asking. That's, that's why we don't keep track. It'll, it'll have a date on it of... October something. October 23rd or 24th. There we go. For the collectors. <laughs> Limited edition. Who was that? Okay, so uh, you guys want to talk about any games you bought recently? Marshall? I, I have bought no games. No games. No. All right. How about you, Jason? So in September, I got uh, a Distant Plane, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later. Uh, I got two sci-fi war games. Uh, solo war games, but we don't need to talk about those. And then I got the Commands and Colors Ancients Expansion Number One from GMT. Well, that's it. And those were all everything. <clears throat> everything was pre-ordered, so I didn't actually buy anything. Buy anything? How about you, Dave? I just made my massive birthday order. Oh, very nice. Hey, I saw that in the guild. So uh, after really cutting back on war game purchases. In which I bought a World of War in about a week and a half. Yeah, I bought and I bought seventy seventy five all within like a month and a half of each other. That was cutting back. I sent out my big order for my birthday, and I ordered a Battle of Moscowa, Moscowa, from uh, Clash of Arms. Is that one of the Napoleonic games? Yeah, it's like their monster Napoleonic system. La- Labatil no is that? Is it Labatil? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I don't pronounce the French word, so I don't know exactly how to say it. <laughs> and I got the uh, the primer that they they sell, I think, for Battle of Battles of the Age of Reason. You guys heard of that? No, nope. It's basically like a teaching book for that series. I didn't want to buy the the, the games unless I knew I liked the rules. So it's kind of like a book they sell that, that for like twenty five bucks or something, where I could kind of you know, walk you through the rules. It's like a playbook. So nice. And then I got a. Federation Commander Klingon attack, little sci-fi action, and I got a uh, Stonewall Jackson's Way Two. So it's cool. Oh, that's cool. Who did that? Yeah. Who does that? That's uh, that's uh, MMP. It's MMP. Oh, I like them. Let's give some love to MMP. <laughs> yeah, it's a new version. It's the second version of a popular series, so it looks pretty neat. So, and then I got a bunch of tools. I got two counter clippers. I got a suction cup stick and two pairs, two tweezers. What's a suction cuff stick for? It's counters. Yeah, if you just want to pull off the top counter, it's a oh. little thing with a suction cup that pulls it off. Someone actually makes that product? Well, it's made for like, uh, electronics repairmen who just need to get a little piece off something. What? I don't know. It was like two bucks. Pretty hardcore. Yeah. I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> yeah, I'd be scared to mark the counters. The tweezers work great. You just spit on your finger and pick them up that way. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but then I end up picking up all my pieces. I don't want to spit on them. <laughs> hey Dave, what kind of counter clippers did you get? Seriously. I got the Oregon Laminate Company ones. Does that have a stopgap in it? I ask every time somebody brings those up. It does. I'm telling you, Marshall, it's it's a dream. It's the yeah, best. this is off of Jason's recommendations. So. Yeah. 
So as always, Jason will buy it back from me if I'm not happy with it. <laughs> yeah. Money back guarantee, you, baby. I'm still waiting on my money back for guns at Gettysburg. Yeah, it's Dude, in they're the like, they're, ex- they're expensive too. They're, those clippers yeah. are like 35 bucks. 40 bucks, yeah. Are the blades replaceable? Nope. Okay. Yeah, it's like a pair of pliers. But, but you can only do one counter at a time, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Is it one counter or one corner? One corner. One yeah. corner of one counter. Thanks, yeah. thanks for, yeah. I wish it did all four. That'd be awesome. So that's it. That's what I bought. It's quite a bit. Yeah. It's kind of bad. I felt a little bit guilty. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you're going to have to really step it up for Christmas for the rest of the family day. I don't know. I already bought it the Christmas present, so we're good to go. What did they get? Academy Games gift certificates? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll buy the wife a bowling ball with my initials on it. Uh, out, Homer. <laughs> All right, Homer. So that's. Can't it. believe you didn't buy anything, Marshall. Well, uh, I mean, I've been, um, I've been busy. I've been busy tanning. Yeah, I've been. <laughs> 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 uh, my tanning membership runs out tomorrow. <laughs> Where do you go? Planet Beach. No, some cheap place here in town. No, I don't know. Some scruffs. A bunch of teenage girls from the college work there. And they, well, there you know. know. Yeah, I mean, well, they, they're all time eyeing me up when I go in there. You know, you are going to cut this shit out, right? Nope. Oh, great. Yeah. No, I didn't buy anything. I mean, I haven't seen anything that caught my eye. And, uh, well, no war games that have caught my eye. I was thinking about buying the new version of War of the Ring. Anybody have any uh, opinions on that? Nope. Okay, thank you all for I like, oh, I like the Lord of the Rings, but I don't have any experience with that game. Well, I have the first one, the original printing, and I played it once, but this other one looks nicer and bigger, so I was like, well, I might as well get it. So you get that one and send me the other one? No, because I got the expansion for the other one. That's worth some money. It'll be in the mail with Hold the Lion, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's coming. Oh, that's right. I got to mail that. So, okay. All right, moving on. So, no, I didn't buy anything. Okay. Now, what do we got that we played? We want to save the good stuff for last, Dave. Is that how we want to do that? Well, uh, as far as the reviews do go, I like to get them done before I get too drunk. So, so we should we can, have started an hour ago. If yeah. we can mix reviews in <laughs> during the podcast, that's good. Listen, <laughs> it, it, this is your world. We're just living in it. Do your thing. Well, so I, I had an epiphany I, the other day, actually. Oh, okay. so I was I was thinking about the podcast and the the dynamic. So Dave kind of keeps us keeps us in line. What we can and can't talk about. Marshall, you're the life of the party, and I'm I'm the tech guy. So Dave's Colonel Potter, Marshall's Hawkeye, and I'm Radar. And we have Mash right there. We are we're the Mash of Wargaming podcasts. And our like last that. episode, our last episode is going to be the most downloaded ever. Which which one's Hawkeye? Alan Alda. Okay. Uh, Look, yeah. Who's Hawkeye? Marshall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're Colonel Potter. You can, you got to keep this in line. I always think that's funny when people like uh, say like what they think. Sometimes listeners will say. Yeah, this they'll say the three of us and this guy does this. It's it's always amazing the perception that people have of like, yeah, who does what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm lost. Never mind. Okay, thank you. I'm just being a being a jackass. Go ahead, Dave. Talk about whatever you need to. Well, no, no, I'm not saying that I want to do the reviews now. I mean, we can talk about games played. <clears throat> oh, I played a game. <laughs> okay, Marshall, what'd you play? Listen, I know that I played a couple games, but I'm only going to talk about one game. Because I was playing this game, and I just don't know. Um, I I had a, a friend who traditionally likes Euros, um, but, you know, has played historical miniatures in the past. So he said, hey, I really want to play Twilight Struggle. Will you teach it to me? 
So I taught him and played Twilight Struggle. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, how is this the number one rated war game on Board Game Geek? Who won? Well, I won. <laughs> well, what, what problems do you have? I mean, this... Is it, do you all think that's the war game? No. Yeah. But I've never played it, so... And I'm pretty liberal with my definition of a war game, but I, w- I wouldn't consider that a war game. If, if we're going to call them con sims, then, then maybe it... I mean, it's simulating a conflict... But it's, it's definitely not a war game. Maybe maybe a political game, if mm-hmm. it's such a category, but I'm like, hey, this ain't a war game. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's it's fun though. I mean I guess. I mean to me the cards get old and like you know what's coming and it's like, eh, you know, vanilla. You know, I gotta say, uh with the coin games in general, like Labyrinth, Andy and Abyss, the two I've played, I like them, but I feel like after playing them a couple times. I'm, they just don't really do it as much for me. Hmm. Well, and I think Labyrinth is pretty heavily based on Twilight Struggle, except for Labyrinth has attractive wooden cubes. Um, but I'm that makes every like, game better. It's like, yeah, I know what cards are coming. Not you, and I don't. I'm not like, oh, I got this card and if this card, but I've got a vague idea of what cards are coming. You know? Yeah, I mean? you play it five or six times and right. Kinda- Especially the scoring cards, it's like, well, I don't have this scoring card, the deck's empty, he's gotta have your, you know, things like that, and it's like, I just, I'm sitting there thinking, how in the hell is this the number one rated war game? It's not even a war game. Is it the number one rated war game? I thought it was just a number one rated game. No, it's number one. I can see it being number one total, because it's a crossover game, so war gamers will play it in Euro, I think the Euro... Gamers like that, that you can, well, I don't have this card, so my opponent must have it. We're in the last hand of the early war, or whatever it's called. I mean, it's a great snapshot of that period of history, and it's it's a decent design with the whole space race and all that stuff's kind of mm-hmm. cool, because we live, well, I say we, Dave and I, well, Dave lived the, the second half deck and the last half deck. I lived the last half deck. So, you know, I mean, that's shit you remember from being a kid, but it ain't you no know, war game. I don't even, I don't even know the context whether I should be insulted by any of that. Pretty much, cause I pretty much just called you old, Dave. <laughs> speaking, speaking of calling Dave old, I apologize for making a joke about you being in Desert Storm. I, di- I didn't mean it that way. I knew you weren't there. I was, I was joking around with Marshall. Who, me? Yeah, last episode I made some comment about Dave being in Desert Storm. Well, I figured it was just revenge for me saying your tattoos look like crop circles. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty hipster, right? <laughs> that, must, that must have been it. <laughs> hey, so uh, let me do one of my reviews real quick. And then we'll talk about games played. And then, Jason, you can talk about your games played. Yeah, it'll be about 30 minutes. Okay. So, because, Marshall, I'm assuming you didn't actually play any real war games? Uh, smart ass, I fucking did. All right. By myself, kind of. I mean, I ran through it. What'd you play? Oh, I tell him it's not my turn. <laughs> so that's going to be kind of a review, right? Well, sure. All right, I'm going to talk about a world at war. A world at war is made by GMT. It's world War II strategic. This game is like legendary as being like one of the most monster games there is out there right now. And that base, it's based on Third Reich, right? Right. Yeah, so it's like the the final development of Third Reich, evolution of Third Reich. And it's uh, the entire war 
the Pacific Theater and the European Theater. Uh, so, you know, there's stuff on BGG about how complicated it is and how how uh, monstery it is, and so I felt kind of challenged to to buy the game. I think because of that, and uh, so I bought it, and it came in, and uh, I opened it up. It's got a 230-page rulebook. Sweet. And I'm telling you, the rulebook is bound. I mean, there's binding on it. So, and the the font is like maybe like nine point or eight point font. Nice, easily readable. Yeah. So uh, there's a uh, there's two large maps. There's like twelve card sheets. Uh, there's a, there's a, a scenario book. There's a diplomacy and research book. There's the scariest thing is there's six a book of sixty tear out uh, tracking charts for economies and shipyards and uh, so it's pretty intimidating uh, when you pull it out of the box. Did you 20, get those laminated? No, they're not laminated. Okay. Sorry. Twenty eight hundred chits. Damn. Uh, Did you clip them? Not yet. I just got my clippers. So I've been waiting for my clippers to arrive. There's. The interesting thing about the chits, the map's decent, it looks pretty good, it's a pretty nice map, it's a paper map. The chits are one-sided, which is unusual in this day and age, um, and they're kind of thin. And I think the reason they're thin is I think some of the guys like to uh, do them on these vertical metal boards and maybe use the, the magnetic stuff on the magnetic backing on them. So I think that might have been a choice that they made to make them one-sided instead of having two-sided ones. But, you know, it's it's kind of... I wish they'd done two-sided because some of the ships flip. It would be nice if they could be damaged, if you could flip them if they're damaged. Or, like, you could make change for aircraft instead of having to find uh, other chits. You could just flip them over to be one less. But they're all one-sided chits. So, uh, basically, the, 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 the chits are very simple. The... the the game systems, I mean, like an infantry unit's like a one combat factor, three movement. Uh, every, every ship that basically fought or could have fought in the battle or in the war is in this game named individually. That's pretty cool. So every U.S. carrier, every Japanese carrier, every battleship, uh, all the major ships are in there. The, you know, the, the one thing that's, that really strikes you is that, uh, you know, I'm used to these games nowadays that have like a playbook with lots of examples of play. Like they'll have the ground combat section and then they'll have this nice color, uh, example of how to fight ground combat. None of that in this book. It's all just rules. And occasionally there's a little tiny italics example of something. But so basically you're like looking at this game and you're like, well, where's my playbook? And this game's like, say, if you ask me that again, I'm going to kick you in the ball. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the game basically has no sympathy for you. You have to earn the right to play it. Right, it's just staring at you. Um, not a lot of BGG support for the game, but they do have a Yahoo group that's pretty good for asking rules. The designers real quick at getting back to you. So I've been uh, using the Yahoo group for rules questions. So there's kind of a steep learning curve if you're a new player. It seems like the guys who developed it were all uh, expert players who've been playing this for years, so they didn't really give much effort to producing examples of play for new players, but we have been putting up uh, session reports of our games on BGG, so if guys want to check that out, they can. 
It's it's phase turns. I go, you go. So basically, the the Axis goes and does all their stuff, and then the Allies go and do all their stuff. The ground combat and naval combat, I would say, are kind of like medium complexity. The complexity is how all the systems work together. Um, there's all these special rules for things, uh, how different uh, geographical areas work, how supply works, oil, uh, technology, diplomacy. It's all all very complicated and how it all fits together. So it can be kind of overwhelming if you're going to start playing it. But I would say if you're going to get it, just start playing it and just figure it out as you go. You're going to make a ton of mistakes, but I think it will be fun. So I messed around with this, the naval combat night fun, and I just kicked it off and I started playing the entire thing. So that's what I'm doing now. So do you see yourself playing other games in the meantime? I mean, it seems like it's really, it's like a lifestyle kind of game. Yeah. Well, I've got it up on my, my main table, and I've got a side table uh, where I can play, like, smaller games, like regular size games. So I can kind of case it up. Blue. <laughs> right. No, but like, you know, I've got, so I've got a side table where I can kind of play those games while it's set up. So, and, oh, and the other thing, which brings up a good point, there's no vassal module, which sucks. Yeah, that is weird. They, they use their own system called War Planner, which is custom built for the game, but it doesn't work on Mac, so my, I, I have an old PC that, that I might have. get a real computer. Yeah, I might have an old PC that can do it, but it kind of sucks that there's no vassal, so. Well, from the poster pictures you've been posting in the guild, I was really surprised. The stacks didn't look overwhelming, surprisingly. No, only only two ground units can be in a hex. So you don't get monster stacks. And the other thing with the naval ships is they're represented by task force counters, and there's a separate set of, like, eight sheets where all the ships are laid out on the task forces. So it keeps you from having a stack of, like, 30 ships in one hex. So just, how well does it how well does it simulate the war? Well, yeah. Here, here's what I would say about it. I think when you you, you know some games will uh, some games will put you in the place of a, a side and say, hey, you get victory points for doing this, or you get victory points for doing that. And this instead, this game actually puts you in a situation where you can do different things if you want to. If you're Germany, you can try to turn Spain into an ally, or uh, or if you're Italy, maybe, you know, or maybe Greece will become friends with you. Or uh, there's a lot of different combinations. And the, the way it works, one of the interesting things about the way it works is oil is very important. And as the game progresses, oil becomes harder. Like for the Japanese, initially they have access to all the oil they need. But as the U.S. starts getting more and more upset at things they're doing, the U.S. starts embargoing them and cutting them off from the international oil market. So eventually the Japanese have to capture the oil fields that are in the uh, in the islands north of Australia. So it kind of, rather than forcing you to do things just for victory point reasons, it kind of forces you to do things for the same reasons that the nations did it. You know, the Japanese face a choice. Like basically... You need five oil counters each turn to avoid what's called oil effects. It might be more than that. To avoid oil effects. So if you want to be able to use your navy, you gotta normally you gotta pay an oil counter. If you want to be able to use your army or your air force, you gotta pay oil counters. Construction, you gotta use oil counters. So if you run out of oil, you have to start deciding which parts of your forces you aren't going to use anymore or use it as efficiently. Um how do you see this selling? I actually think, honestly, uh, that this game is going to sell out. I would say if it's a game that you're, you're interested in and you think you might want to get, 
you should get it. Because I don't really know that they're going to do another version of it. And I yeah. think once it's gone, I don't think you'll be able to... I think it's going to be like a case blue, where you just can't get it anymore. Because this one was on the pre-order list for years, right? Yeah, but I, I just feel like it's getting buzzed. And, and just as an idea, let me just run through some of the stuff. So I mentioned one of the things you can do is you can research. You know, like during the war, the Germans researched like heavy tanks or or like V1 rockets, you know. The things you can research, and you have research points, you can develop jets, air range, improve the quality of your pilots, strategic bombers, air defense, uh, anti-submarine warfare, torpedoes, advanced submarines, harbor attacks, combat training, rockets. You can uh, develop atomic research projects like radar, controlled reaction, uranium separation, plutonium production, the atomic bomb, counterintelligence, covert operations, espionage, subversion, which the Russians can do to kind of get countries to uh, to get over to their side, like kind of like a communist rev- revolution, Anglo-French cooperation, code-breaking, Chinese occupation policies, Indian subversion, Muslim unrest, Russian occupation policies, Western allied partisans or Russian partisans. So... It sounds basically just like Axis and Allies. You can do research in that, too. <laughs> yeah, except... Except the research is a lot more complicated in this game, I think. Like, you can increase your production, you can build more more uh, ports. There's just a ton of different options you have. And then for diplomacy, I mentioned, like, you could do different things. Like, say Germany wants to get Spain to be its ally. Uh, there's, there's separate modifiers for each country. Uh, for example, if the Germans want to try to influence Greece and get them to be an ally... Things that have happened so far in the war are going to influence whether Greece will uh, come. You make a diplomacy role to see if Greece is going to be friends with the Germans. And one of the things is, like, if, if Turkey's already an ally with, with Germany, the Axis, then Greece doesn't want to be an ally with you because Greece doesn't like Turkey. So I, I just think there's, there's a ton of different options. Now, I don't know that uh, the war will turn out any differently, based on what you choose, but it's kind of cool to be able to explore those options. That's kind of what I like about the games. Um, they've got the whole code-breaking, ultra and magic systems. Uh, there's a cool system for how the U.S. decides it's going to go to war through the U.S. tension. Things that Japan and the Germany do will upset the U.S. And uh, also Russian-German tension, as, as Russia will, will start to move more towards a war footing based on what's happening. Um I just think it's got a lot of deep gameplay, and uh, it's really challenging to learn all the rules because there's basically rules for, like, you know, the first... Let's see. Let me look at the thing. The first sections are all about the, the rules, and then there's a whole section for, like, Nazi, Soviet Pact, and Eastern Europe, how they handle Eastern Europe, Poland, the Baltic States, Bessarabia, war with Finland, the Ukraine. You know, it's just, like, there's tons of stuff. So, How much is it going to set us back? I want to say it's like 125 if you get it at special places that sell online. The pre-order was like 85 though, right? I mean, the pre-order was even less than that. Oh, no, no, I got it. Well, I'm not sure that I might be wrong about the price because I got it cheaper than the pre-order from NWS. Oh. Ah, ah, okay. And then uh, the, thing, the other thing, too, to mention is they have scenarios. So um, you don't have to come in and play the Global War right away. They have... A small, they have uh, North Africa for ground combat. They have a Barbarossa scenario. 
They have Battle of the Atlantic. You also have submarine warfare and raiding groups. You can send the Bismarck out to go fight convoys. Uh, they have Japanese battles in the Pacific, like Midway, uh, Late Gulf, and I think the Coral Sea. And then you can also play either just the Pacific or just Europe, or you can play them together. You can play them together like Global War with all the options, or you can play them Global War with historical results. If you don't want to screw around with like the diplomacy and the research, you can actually go ahead and, and just use historical charts and things that just happen historical. Like you might develop torpedo, improved torpedoes at some point that went like it did historically. So how many players does it support? Well, I, I mean, you can, I would say you can play the best way would probably be four players. You'd have a Western Allied player, a Russia player, a Japanese player, and a German and Italy player. And if you sat down and played the whole damn game like it was meant to be played, like how many years do you think it would take to play? Well, they played at WBC to to a finish. So I think it's doable in one of these monster type conventions. Like me, <laughs> I've been I've been playing for a couple hours, and I'm only almost done with the first German turn. But you know what's funny about it is you start playing it. Like, I started playing Midway just to mess around with it, and I didn't know the rules. But it was cool. I mean, like, I had my aircraft carriers, and the Japanese had this big invasion fleet, and you're trying to decide which planes you want to put up on combat air patrol or fuel up for strikes, and then you're searching for the bad guys. And I found the Japanese, and they didn't find me, so I saw I could do a surprise airstrike on them, so I tore in and sunk a bunch of their carriers. It's a, it, it really starts to suck you in when you start playing it, so... I recommend it. I think it's good. I I would give it a probably a a one beer for complexity because I think I could play any game with one beer on board. Yeah. And I would say I would probably give it a nine for the the quality of it. Though I do think it's tough for beginners to learn. I think if you had somebody who lived near you who knew how to play this game, it would be awesome. But if you're trying to learn it cold, it's going to be really tough. But Look on BGG, a bunch of us are playing it, so. And I think it might, go ahead, Mark. Get, get it while it's gone, it sounds like. Before yeah, it's I think it's gonna be gone, so. I added it to my pre-order list, but I saw that 80 page rule book and. Dude, 80 pages, 230 pages. Maybe that's what it was. It was $80, 230 pages. I, yeah, it's too, that's too much for me. Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, you know, I was kind of cocky, like, hey, I played a bunch of complicated <laughs> It's pretty, it's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a novel, 230 pages. Yeah. yeah, and I'm telling you, it's it's a little small, some small photographs and stuff, black and white photographs. It is from front to back, absolutely thick with every text. Yeah, it's, and there's an index, you know, there's stuff like that. So it's not horrible, but it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, that's a lot of game. Yeah, so. I won't want it till it's out of print. <laughs> Might as well get it now. Hey, Marshall, I wanted to ask, do you have a stage in your house? Yeah. What's the stage for? I don't know. It was here when I bought the house. So, I mean, like, is it in a room and there's a stage? Yeah, in the basement. What do you, what do you use it for? I got puppet more. shows. What are you, puppet shows? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've got a uh, big table on it, and that's where I play my games. When I don't have advanced squad leadership stacked up on it. So you can play games up on the stage? Yeah, I would call it the board game stage, all jokes aside. But what do you think it was meant for? Oh, I have no idea. Somebody just put a stage up. Yeah, there's a stage in the basement, yeah. Okay, no, I just, I just thought it was... Are there curtains? 
No, I mean, you could, I could probably rig some curtains up, but I don't have curtains up for the stage, no. I just wonder that. I think you should get on that. It's not like a three-foot stage, like you're thinking, like a middle school stage or anything. Right. And there's not, there's not a backstage, it just happens to be like a stage. How far out does it stick? It's big enough for a table. Yeah, I mean, it's probably, I don't know, 10 foot by 15 foot. So you can put like a DJ up there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, would well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could put a DJ up there and a pool table and all that shit, dance floor. I guess. I mean, I don't. I'm know. just curious because I, I saw a picture of it and I always wondered. I'm like, that can't be a stage. No, it's a stage. Wow. I don't know what you do with it. Interesting design choice. I didn't do it, but I call it the board game stage because that's what we, you know. But I've got all my ASL shit up there now, so. I got like a stereo up there, so you walk up onto the stage and you sit there and play board games. Alright. So, hey. Why the hell did you ask that? Did we talk about that last time? No, I'm curious. Hey, I have, I have a question for you guys. Yeah, I'm listening. This is purely hypothetical. Jody Arias or Casey Anthony? I'd bang them both. But you gotta pick one. Oh, I've seen, well, I've seen Jody Arias naked. Really? Yeah, all you gotta do is Google. I'm gonna take Casey. Doing that now. I'm gonna take. <laughs> it looks like somebody split it with a broad act. I'm gonna take <laughs> Casey Anthony because if if either one of them bitches tried to kill me, I think that I could take Casey Anthony better. I wouldn't want to fuck that Jody Arias. So you'd give her a fighter's chance. Do I only get to sleep with one of them? Yeah, I concur. The, no, the the one thing about Casey Anthony. Is no matter where she was in jail or anything, she always looked good. I mean, the downside yeah. for her is her crime was obviously more heinous. Which she yeah, did. She, yeah, exactly. But Jody Arias, like in the trial, looked terrible, and she looked like it required a lot of work to put it all together. Well, I you know, and plus that Mormon shit, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, that was, you know, that's going to preclude a lot of. Um, well, it didn't preclude a lot of shit for her, but, but Marshall, not for me either. Marshall, I watched the Lifetime movie. About oh, I missed that. And what, what I can tell you is that the, the, the Jody Harris would be kind of freaky, I think. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Those Mormon girls are. But the downside is, well, she wasn't Mormon. He was Mormon. Well, she was so trying to convert her, right? She was about to be. So if, if you're going to hook up with Jody Arias, you basically are committing to a Lifetime relationship. You can't later on tell her, hey, I don't think this is going to work out. Because we kind of saw what's going to happen if you do that. You well, can't say, you know what? You can't say, maybe I'll try Casey Hampton instead. Yeah, if the shit hits the fan, I think I could probably, you know, defend myself against Casey Anthony, but. I think you could take them both. But she converted to Mormonism for the guy. So that's what, dedication, man. What, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you convert to Mormonism, you're willing to give up like a lot, like beer and coffee and all that stuff. Coffee? That's, that's what they tell you. She would probably be willing it's, to war game for you if you would marry her. And lingerie? I think she's got that kind of commitment. I think she and, would learn OCS to be with you. And lingerie. Dude, dude, she converted to Mormonism for the guy. Like, hey, bitch, you're going to have to put on some lingerie and play uh, the Blitzkrieg legend tonight. If, if you want to marry me, that's what you She get. might even play the devil's, she might even buy the devil's cauldron for you. Oh, I tell you what, I'm calling her. Right, so that's, I mean, that's a plus for her. In the end, I think, honestly, I would go Casey Anthony because I am a component whore, and I'm going to go for the package. 
for her. Right, and her her parents have swimming pool. Well, that's true. What about you, Jason? Uh, I think just based on just aesthetics alone, Casey Anthony. Yeah, but she killed her kid, man. I know. Yeah, that's hard. You know what? Maybe maybe I would go with. Uh, I don't know. No way. I'm not committing to her for life. I would have to go Casey because I but think the there's fact- an exit strategy there. Well, the thing I like about Casey Anthony is right after she killed her kid, she wasn't Target buying a 50-pack of Bud Light, because that's the only fucking picture Nancy Grace showed for fucking six months. She knows how to party. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering. I've been thinking about it. I think about these things sometimes. That's the kind of shit I don't sit around and think about, surprisingly enough, Dave. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's I found that photo, Marshall, by the way. Of her getting banged. Everybody said it's, of, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Listen, um, I gotta pee and get a cigarette. Alright, do your thing. Alright, Jason, talk about games you played. Better take a breath. So I played surprisingly a lot of, a lot of games. Um, well, I don't wanna miss them. this. I'll talk about the ones you don't wanna hear. Hurry up. Talk about Academy Games games. I'll talk or about Lock and Load. I'll talk about Guns of Gettysburg while you're gone. Yeah. Hurry up. So I played, excuse me, uh, A Distant Plane four times. Uh, finished up my four month long Guns of Gettysburg Vassal game, uh, which was pretty fun. Actually, um, oh, Marshall's not here. Remind me to talk about Guns of Gettysburg when Marshall gets back. Right. Mike and I are playing Richard the Third, which is a lot of fun since Marshall won't play Hammer of the Scots with me. Uh, Dave, you and I played East Front 2. Yes. Which, uh, you steamrolled me and I gave up. I accepted your surrender. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was graceful. I was the Germans. You handled it pretty well. You, uh, me, Braxton, and Lucas played Annie and Abyss online. Uh, I played, oh, I'm playing King Philip's War with Barry, I forget his last name. Is that the guy on the... Yeah, Barry Roy. Yeah. yeah. Barry Roy Esquire. That's a nice title. That game's actually going really well. Uh, Dave, you and I also played, not a World of War, but World of War, Eisenbach Gap. On Vassal. Um, I played D-Day on my beach with just myself. I played Marshall's back. Played Lock and Load Forgotten Heroes by myself. Marshall, are you there? I'm coming. Hold on. What I've been saving what, What's question? What's question? Well, sorry. <clears throat> I finished up my Guns of Gettysburg game. Yeah. And I was on the forum looking at it. Bowen Simmons listened to the podcast where you were shit-talking the game. <sighs> okay. <laughs> He made some comment, and I responded and said, uh, actually, you're wrong. Here's what we actually talked about. And I can't, um, get, well, he was on the Board Game Geek forums? Yeah. Oh, uh, because of my harassment of Mike Ranella, I can't get on there and harass him, or I'll be banned for life from Board Game Geek. Oh, uh, yeah, that's probably. Stay away. I just wanted to let you know. Oh, uh, now I, I gotta what? look, and you got, now I'm gonna have to go shit on him. No, it's <laughs> nothing, it's nothing bad. Kev Sharp actually got our back on it. Hey, so, so Jason, after playing Guns of Gettysburg, did you change your opinion of it? No. Okay. No, it's, there's definitely a good game in there, but I don't have ten games of, ten plays of any game in me to learn and memorize and master, so, uh, I'll keep it, but I don't know the next time I'm gonna play it. Hammer the Scots, I played that ten times tonight. Except with me. I've been busy. <laughs> me too. And then the last game I played was, uh, played two-thirds, no, played one-third of, uh, Storm Over Stalingrad with my buddy Matt. Oh yeah, I wanna hear all about that. We started it. I actually really, really enjoyed, really enjoyed it. I was surprised how short the rules were. Um, sat down and read them one night. It was, 
like, okay, we got this. And then we sat down and started drinking and kibitzing and didn't end up finishing. But yeah, I really liked it. It's the next one up on our, up on our list, but he's busy and I'm busy. We, we actually work together. So whenever I get busy, he gets busy and we can't. Now, does he so have a uh, wargaming experience? He's the guy who got me into war games. Okay. So, and yes. Dave, have you played Storm Over Stalingrad? No. I think you might find it a little too light. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little simple for Dave. Yeah, every time you say that, I end up liking the game. You said that about a victory loss. Yeah, but this is lighter than a victory loss. <laughs> like 14 times you said, oh, you're going to hate this, Dave. Oh, you're going to hate this. Yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward, I think, um, for both sides, kind of. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you do it. Now do it. I, I made sure to keep a sniper in my hand at all times. Yes. Yeah. You learned that lesson from Marshall. I did. I did. Um, I was the Germans. We got two turns in. I think I was doing our our eye, but we didn't get far enough far enough in for me to see it. I, I definitely would have won, though. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's yeah. easy to say when you don't finish a game. Oh no, I was. That's like Marshall saying he's beating me at a victory loss, <laughs> which I, I am. I was doing pretty well, and by the by the time we stopped. Matt was half in the bag, so. Mm. <clears throat> nice. Mm-hmm. I was taking full advantage. So that's it. Ten games for me over the last six weeks. Oh, that's good. Yeah, not bad. Hey, Play more D-Day to Omaha Beach, Marshall. Marshall, you want to you huh? do, you do your uh, your review of uh, that I, Civil War game? I don't got no review. I, now, I didn't say that. You want to just talk about it? Yes. Yeah, we talk about games. Yes. Okay, so I decided that I wanted to play something that I could leave set up and uh, at least pour my attention into this week anyway. So I decided that what I was going to play, I had set downstairs in my office, was None But Heroes. Okay. It's it's the uh, first game in the line of battle series from oh, Mul- yeah. Ultiman Publishing. Uh, it covers the Battle of Antietam, and it's the first in the series... I know it's an update of the old Civil War Brigade series, I think, and Civil War Regimental series. I don't have any of those because I hate coming in in the middle of a series and then having to chase stuff down. That's why I bought this game originally because it was the first in the series and because I live, I don't know, about 10, 12 minutes away from Antietam. So I thought it would be cool to have. And um, I guess it's about 60 pages of rules on the box. It says it's medium complexity. I didn't really see where it was medium complexity. <laughs> um, I bought it at WBC 2012. Finally broke it out. Um, saw on the Board Game Geek website where they had an updated rules version for it that was supposed to be easier. But I had to really look for that on Compson World. There wasn't, it wasn't really linked or on the Gamers Archive or anywhere else. But I found it on Compson World. And I think they've streamlined it a little bit. From the first version of the rules. So, so, Marshall, did you do a like a quick playthrough? Well, yes and no. I mean, real quick, the counters. There's a couple things that I, it's taken a little bit to get used to. The map is um an actual map of Gettysburg. Now, not actual, an artist's conception, but they did not conform the terrain to the hexes. Mm. Does that make sense? So you've got the mm-hmm. map as it is, terrain-wise, with the hexes down on top of it. So that takes a little getting used to, and that's not a knock on it. That takes a little getting used to. And the counters, when you flip them, that doesn't 
show a loss like it does traditionally in war games. So you take a hit, you got to flip. No. The counters, you have to have a strength marker that go under each counter. Okay. The, the counter's original full strength is on the marker, but anytime it goes below that, you have to put a strength marker on it, which can make for unusually high stacks. The reason you can't flip them is because whether it's infantry, <clears throat> the first side is if they are in column, and then you flip it and it changes it to line. Okay. So they're in the same strength, but it's a different formation type, if that makes sense. Now, so, so are the but are the numbers like combat numbers different whether they're in column or line? Yes. Like so when you flip it, like movement and combat's different on one side than the other. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But that's not on the counter. Oh. That's on the map, and then you've got seven pages of charts and tables. It's like an RPG when we were kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And line of sight is a your level twelve cleric. Right. And line of sight and slope in this game is huge. Because of... And uh Jason, have you ever been to Antietam? I know Dave has. No, I have not. Dave, you have been to Antietam, correct? Yes. yes I yeah. Right. So you know how the ground rolls and lays and all that. And it has that on the map. Now, I have set it up, done small scenarios. There are scenarios in this game. Um, But what I did not include yet is the, there's a whole, I guess they say the shining light of this system is an orders system. Oh, okay. And there's a hierarchy and command. So you actually write your orders down on paper as McClellan or Lee, and then you have to roll dice to see if they get delivered and dispersed. And I assume McClellan's worse at doing that than Lee. He has a lot more restrictions. Right. So you said you roll dice. I've I've heard about this and the written orders thing and whether they get carried out or not. So how does it work? You write down, and you can't be super specific, right? You have to say you cannot use a time. The only the and I haven't done this yet. I've only read about this. I haven't gotten that far yet. It's very bloody doing it the way I'm doing it, which is just okay. This group's going to attack, and I'm just trying to learn the movement and the charges and the artillery and things like that. When you write the orders, you can say you really basically you're saying okay, you need to go to this area or come in the right flank of this area. The only time you can use is I want you to attack at daylight. You can't. So you can't so say I want you to attack at two thirty. You can say go here and attack or go here and hold, that kind of thing, but you can't be. Correct. Or you can okay. say when when this unit attacks, you know, I want you to attack at daylight. And then you can say to the next unit, okay, I want you to attack after unit A has started its attack. And when you say units, you're talking like larger commands, right? Like They're brigades, and it, it all breaks down to passing on the information. There's a whole hierarchy of leaders, like I said, that I haven't got to yet. But it's Basically, it's brigades and regiments and things like that. Cool. Well, yeah, I've got the last uh, chance at victory on pre-order, so I'm excited. And that's the second one of this, correct? Right, yeah, I'm excited and, for that. And that's the Gettysburg game, correct? Yes. Cool. It's, it's, a, it's involved, but it's good. Like I said, I haven't done the orders yet, and it says right in the rules, you know, you should start it without the orders, but it's going to be a lot bloodier. And the rules even tell you, like, yeah, just because you want it to work out like this doesn't mean it's gonna. Right, and I imagine, like, there's also times where 
based on what the Confederates are doing, the Union commander wants to change the orders, but the guys are late starting, and then you're trying to change to something else, and they won't accept the rules. Correct. So you kind of have to have some role-playing where you kind of have to keep moving the guys towards the other, the old rule, the old order, even though you don't want to do it because it's bad for the game. Well, yeah, it says, like, if you, like, say, put an order out, and orders can get held up for several turns, too. Mm-hmm. I think every time you advance a turn marker is 15 minutes. Um, but, wow. like, if you put an order and, like, you really don't want it to achieve it, well, you got to move them there anyway. Does that, yeah, does I, that I think, do things change? I think for Antietam, that's probably a real opportunity for the system to shine because, you know, traditionally you had a Confederate army that was pretty well led against a Union army that kind of attacked piecemeal and disjointed. Yeah, it's pretty funny because, uh, you know, there's a series rule book and then the game-specific rule book. And in the back, it's like, yeah, it goes over orders. And it's like, yeah, generally, you know, do what you want. Oh, McClellan, you can do this, but you can't do this, but you can't right. do this, but you can't do this, but you can only order issues to, you know. So it's, he's really, it, you know, hamstrung because of the way he acted to make right. it realistic to the game. So. Well, I mean, that, that has to be that way because the Union had so many more troops that if you let them do whatever they want, then... Forget it. They're just going to steamroll the Confederates. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 been good so far. It's it's a it's a good system. Of course, I think MMP makes a good game. I like the gamers games anyway. So yeah. Like I said, I, I can't give you a review on it because I'm still learning it. Um, but it's enjoyable. It's good. It's good to hear you playing the game. Yeah, me too. I was glad to hear that too. Can I do uh? Can I do lock and load before I have too many beers? Sure. Possible. Marshall, take your blood pressure medicine. Uh, I was just thinking, oh my god. So, you know, I, I, Jason was nice enough to send me a copy of, this copy of Lock and Load America Conquered. And, uh, you know, the Lock and Load system is a pretty well known system. It's been out for a while. Well, I, I think this is the World of War. Oh, I'm Earth. sorry, World of War. You're yeah. World of is War. this a fake one? Yes, this is the hypothetical World War Three. So, so basically, uh, the idea is it's, I guess, 1985, and Jason, feel free to chip in because you've obviously, you sent it to me. The, uh, it, it's, the idea is that the Soviet Union, I guess, launched a, like a dozen nukes at the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then planned to invade the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the areas they intended to invade was Florida. Of course, some small key, backwater key st- fountain <laughs> of youth, baby. Key strategic location, right? Yeah, I think if anything, if you're going to try to invade a location, you want to be stuck out on a small panhandle <laughs> where you can be cut off and destroyed. Um, so obviously, so. this is a fictional scenario. I mean, this is a, the, the the game is it consists of a bunch of scenarios that are linked together by uh, this fictional concept. So if you're going to play it, uh, you have to kind of move beyond the fact that it's highly unlikely that the Soviet Union, together with, I guess, Cuba and a bunch of Central and South American allies who could probably barely afford to keep their vehicles fueled, would be able to launch a naval invasion of the United States. Yeah, it's Argentina and Venezuela with Cuba. 
Yeah, so it's it's a it's, it's a bunch of military powerhouses. It could happen. And, and the and the way they do it is uh, in a kind of a piecemeal fashion. So at first, like they show up with a with a few units and uh, and and like. So if you win, I guess the next scenario is they send a few more units ashore, and then a few more units come ashore. And it's like I don't think they would have done a naval invasion like in battalion-sized elements if they were really. I think they would just land everyone at once. But it's a fantasy situation. Uh, <laughs> we understand that you have to release yourself to it. Right. Basically, it's about playing the scenarios. If you yeah. like the World at War system. And, uh, you like playing the scenarios. They give you a bunch of linked scenarios that give you a feel like you're fighting for something. There's like a storyline. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately for me, the storyline was pretty hard to bear. Because, uh, the, the guy who writes the rules, uh, likes to write the fiction also. Easy a- where you walk here, David. And the fiction is pretty interesting. I'll put it that way. And I will read. Some of it's hard to buy. This is an inter. This is an introduction for one of the scenarios. All right. While you read that, I'm going to go get a drink. It was him, the same dark hair, strong jaw. It was her brother, part of the life that she left behind. At least she thought that she had left that life behind. Now, riding proud in the turret of her enemy tank, it came back to haunt her. She ripped a burst from her AK-47 and dropped behind the felled trees her militia were using for cover, more to gather her wits than for the protection it afforded, her brother. But America was also her country, and the men and women fighting beside her were friends, neighbors. Captain? It was Josh Daniels, the patrolman with the distractingly green eyes. This gal is like the police chief of the town or something she looked. Bl- I'm sorry to break the mood there. I'm sure. Ah, uh, yeah, you did. You broke the mood. She looked blankly at his face. Captain, you all right? He asked. No, she replied, not bothering to wipe the tears as she stood and rested the barrel of her assault rifle on the felled tree. The long burst she triggered ended further conversations. Okay. Woo! Right. So it's like. As she stood in her turret, seeing the Cuban attacking forces, she, this is this is my version. Uh, she recognized four tank commanders in the Cuban tanks. These were the same men who had poured blood all over her head at her high school prom. She would never forget that humiliation. And like her Star Trek convention going mother used to say, revenge is a dish that's served cold. So there you what is that? The fucking rules? I made it back just in time. That's, that's in time. my, that's his fiction and my fiction. This so the first portion. So, so that's the kind of like, you know, after you read it for a while, you're kind of like, uh, you start skipping it. Yep. Well, listen, if the gameplay better come out and suck your dick, because here's what <laughs> pisses me off about you fuckers. The, the fucking artwork is fucking terrible, that fucking game. I don't give a shit. Lock and load publishing's artwork is fucking terrible, and, and you know the fucking fiction's terrible. I can't believe anybody plays, buys this fucking game, and the production quality on a lot of it is junk. All right, Marshall. 
But I got you. Review. <laughs> that was my fiction session. That was And I hate somebody because. I thought you were telling Dave to be careful where he stepped. Uh, I did, yeah. Man, you blew just, up. just to be clear, the Klingon part at the end was mine. That I was know, but still, the rest of it was fucking stupid. Okay, so. Yeah. So, so you get past the fiction, you get. You're, you're gonna play kind of a fancy game. Some guys might like this type of fiction. I'm not into it. Uh, I think Cap really the actual likes components. The, uh, the counters, the, I like the artwork on the counters. I think the colors are nice. I think the, the tank silhouettes look good. They, they want to try to put everything on the counters. Like all the statistics. So you have numbers. little numbers. So you might have a light blue counter with a yellow number that you know, I get, I get it that I'm like the oldest guy uh, in on the podcast, but I can't read it. And even worse, the range and the number of dice are like footnote. Like, what do they, what do they call some kind of script? Yeah, I know. There's, there's, I know what you're talking about. They're like that in all lock and load games. And like super, for, super script, super script. So forget reading the main number. I definitely can't read the range and number of dice I have to roll unless I'm going to wear a jeweler's optivisor the entire time I'm playing the game. So. Uh, the, the maps, I thought the maps were okay, like, art-wise, but they're bowed. You can't lay them flat. And Jason that's had, the problem with locking with well. And Jason had wrapped the maps solidly in a really heavy rubber band, and they will not lay flat. Nope. So, if I'm gonna have to put plexiglass on top of the maps anyway... On a mounted map. Yeah, it's a cardboard yeah. map. If I'm going to have to put plexiglass on the map, just make them paper and give me a yep. bigger fucking box that all yep. the stuff will actually fit into. <laughs> like, well, don't he's, okay. He, so, he's, he's close because, look, people buy his games and the artwork's terrible and the quality's terrible and the fiction's terrible. So if he had a little help, a little constructive criticism, he might be able to have really good games. I think so. Even though so, I, I mean, all his games so, are watered-down miniatures. I'm sorry, Dave. After looking I, I through the components, after looking through the components, I wanted to read the rules. So I read the rules. And for a system that when you're trying to read it, you kind of get the feeling like, okay, the game is a basic game. It doesn't seem like a very complicated game. But the rules are so chatty and so wordy that you get the feeling like it makes the rules more complicated than they actually are. Um, Really, the rules could probably be handled with a couple charts that kind of tell you what everything can do. And it didn't help that, you know, kind of after the rules being out for such a long time, I kind of expected that uh, they'd be, like, perfect at this point. I mean, these are the, I assume these are the World at War rules. Yes. So, um, but there's examples <clears throat> like, uh, one of the examples is a disrupted T-34. The idea is that a unit's morale... Is is uh, conditional. Whatever it's conditional morale, it is the unit's morale plus however many units are within, let's see, two hexes of the unit. So it's your conditional morale plus however many units are in within two hexes of the unit. So then it gives an example. It says a disrupted T thirty four platoon within two hexes are two more T thirty four platoons of the same formation, and it has one in its own hex basically. So it says the T-34 platoon's morale would be 2, their base morale, plus 4, 4 units within 2 axes. No, there's not 4 units within 2 axes. There's 3 units within 2 axes. Because you said 
the T34 platoon is in the hex with another T34 platoon. Within two hexes are two more T34 platoons. Unless the unit can count itself as one of the units. No, I don't think so. So it wouldn't be plus four. It would be plus three. So, I mean, nothing drives me more crazy in a rule set when the examples belong. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you think you're kind of getting it, and you check with the example, and then you're like, well, now I don't understand this. So let me go on to another one. <laughs> Dave's picking it apart. Well, no, I just, I read through it. I mean, and I'm going to say at the end, I'm, I'm not totally against the game, but here's one. In assault combat, each side can stack up to the stacking limit defined in section 1.2. Okay, cool. Stacking. Let me let me go back to 1.2. What's at 1.2? Oh, shoot. That says counter definitions. That's not stacking limits. Mm. That's annoying. Okay, let me go to another one. They talk about uh, they talk about headquarters, and then they give an example like how a headquarters can be eliminated. It says example: if the unit the headquarters stacked with receive a hit, roll one die six. On a roll of one, the headquarters reduced. Or eliminated if already reduced. That's not a fucking example. That's the rule. <laughs> give me an example. Give me an example of it. Does There's he tell you to use an opaque container like a coffee mug, but make sure it's clean? It does. Here's another one. Under augmented firepower. Throughout throughout the book, the rule book, they've got some great large uh, uh, graphics of the unit uh, counters. <clears throat> and they're great. I wish they were that size because I can actually read <laughs> the, the example counters. I can't read the actual counters, but here's here's a thing that I thought was a weird rule design. Okay, so there's augmented firepower. So basically, uh, the example gives you an example of uh, basically. So augmented firepower is that you uh, you get two dice for your shooting, but you get to pick the best two out of three. So the example they give is a seal platoon rolls three dice in an unmodified assault. The owner of the unit can pick the best two results of the three. But because they don't give you a picture of what the seal counter looks like, now I gotta fish through all the counters. I'm like, well I guess that means that the seal has a two plus on its counter, but there's no picture. So I don't know what that looks like on the counter. There's all, there was also some problems with the, uh, the, the, you know, it's been on BGG about uh, the, the counter mix is confusing. You have to use some different, like the PT-76 from one unit for a certain scenario. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's some mixing and matching of counters. That didn't bother me as much. But I think at this point, uh, with the rules having been around as long as they have been, um, there, oh, there, there was one other one too, I think. There's one where they give an example, and there's uh, there's no number. Like it basically says, I'm not going to get into it too much. I don't want to going on the type of thing that's pretty the thing that upsets me is I could I could live with a little bit of chatty style if the fucking rules were a little more sharper okay here, here's an example from morale all units of the Havana rifles have a morale factor of 7 when the game calls for a morale check roll 2d6 if the result is the formation's morale the unit, I'm like like is there supposed to be a number there or is that a gap? I guess that's a gap. I don't know. Who knows? So it, it, it puts in doubt the whole thing. Like you start to start to question the rules. Now what I will say is I played the system. I played the lock and load Eisenbach gap version. 
Mm-hmm. I liked it. I played a scenario solo from the game. It's a chip pull game system. It's pretty easy to learn, which is so frustrating that the rules are, are complicated. Yeah, that's that's my issue. The rules are way more complicated than they need to be because it's a pretty introductory level war game. And if you want tank on tank combat, especially with modern tanks, it's a good if you ignore the fiction, it's a good fun system to play. Yeah, I mean it's got stabilized guns, kind of optics rules for for Eisenbeck gap. I mm-hmm. think uh I think it was once you get a couple of cheat sheets, it's easy to learn. You get fast action, good results. It's pretty cool. And I liked it when I played it, but I would recommend that if you're going to get lock and load, you get lock and load Eisenbeck Gap. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was going to say. The f- or World of War not, Eisenbeck Gap, sorry. There's not as much of of the fiction in that. And honestly, with the deluxe edition out now, the counters are really, really nice. The board is, is nice. Um, it has the same flaws with the rules, but the the scenarios just kind of get you right into combat, which I understand what he's doing with the scenarios of the storytelling, and that's his focus is on that storytelling. I I get it. I would rather just get in and play the game, though. You, you know what I mean? Like, well, and, and the bottom line if, is, if if I'm playing it, I just want to. I want tanks fighting tanks. I don't I don't want to worry about a cop finding some Cubans on a beach somewhere. Right. Or that one of them was her long-lost brother or something. Right. Or her remembering playing in the streets of Cuba, uh, chasing an ice cream truck or something in Paris. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, maybe some guys like it. I'm just telling you from a guy who... I think a lot of guys do. Yeah, that's cool. If, if you're into it, if you're into the fiction, you like it, like, you'll probably really like the game because there's a lot of that fiction. If you thought that fiction that I read was great, then you're going to love it. You're going to love the game. The scenario I played was fun. Uh, I did enjoy the game. You're just going to have to skip that stuff. And, and because the scenarios are kind of linked, I mean, the fiction is part of it, I guess, but whatever. That's just my Yeah. And Honestly, you, you can skip it without missing anything. And, and in the end, uh, this podcast is free. so <laughs> Yeah. I'm not charging people 45 bucks to listen to what I can say. So. Bandwidth is expensive. So that's lock and load America Conference. It is, Marshall. It is. Yeah, I gotta send you money. I'm gonna get on that. (laughs) That's alright. Just busting your balls. I appreciate that. Dave, what else have you played? I played, uh, OCS with, uh, Campbell and Jeff. Mm. And just kind of a teacher game. Where did, where did Campbell come from? Uh, was that the, the, the guy, the pole climber guy? Where did the name Campbell? Where did, uh, what's your tall? Glenn Campbell. Yeah, Glenn Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, me and Jason go way back. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. We played a game, played by Forum like a year and a half ago. Fel, Felcom 00. Shit, 18 months? You all do go back a long time. <laughs> well, yeah. Way back. Yeah, nice shit. Yeah, it's, so, uh, so we played just a teaching It's BP OCS. before podcast. We, we played a teaching OCS game. Uh, and we played, uh, I played Conflict of Heroes with Jeff. Uh, he, the, the Conflict of Heroes Vassal module isn't that great. But, uh, you know, it was some fun. He shot my machine gun team that was in the stone house and they got a berserk casualty marker on them. 
which gave him a, a range of one, but made him really difficult to kill. So they just ran around inside the house for about four turns while he snuck up on him. And eventually Jeff killed him and, and won that game. And that's it. Those are my two games. Uh, that's it. I've been playing a World of War solo. Because I've been on vacation and did stuff like that. So. Hmm. And between you and Marshall, I guess it's my turn. Yes. I need, I need to go on vacation one of these days. Yes. Hopefully it'll so be speaking of Campbell, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time calling him that. But between him and Jeff, should we talk about the... All, there's a lot of new guys in the guild. Hey, you know what Jeff told me? Jeff's from Canada. We were hmm. talking. He said, I was telling Canadian, him that he get Canadian. a, a 1.75 liter bottle of uh, gin from Costco for 25 bucks. He said in Canada, it's 65 bucks. Wow. They got like, Costco's in Canada? No, I don't think so. I Apparently not. If there is, they're not worth it. But then he goes, well, I get free health care. I said, well, I'd rather have cheap boots, so. <laughs> yeah. I'll drink myself to death before I go to the doctor. <laughs> You're not yeah. knocking on a guild member, are you? <laughs> Never, ever, ever. Yeah, we, we got 78 guild members. Yeah, so we have Tony, who, who just showed up. Lee. Tony, who? Uh, You're gonna make, make me look stuff yeah, up. Yeah, don't, I just check. Uh, Tony, the, the guy from Australia with the beer. Oh, you yeah, haven't been online in like six months. I know. Yeah, just listen Tony, to this part. Okay. Tony's been active. Uh, seriously, who I'm gonna hook up with in Dallas. Uh, he and I actually started talking about a year and a half ago. God, y'all go way back too. I'm gonna go way, way back. And then, yeah, Jeff. Who else? Keith, uh, who has a great blog. I don't know the name of it, but he has a great, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so make sure you guys all go visit that blog. <laughs> yeah, we're fucking terrible. He's got a great blog. I don't know the name of it. Let me pull it up. Hey, hey, guys, listeners. Okay, there's it's guy on BGG. Hold on, man. You're gonna make me look like a jackass. I don't appreciate that. Keith has right. a blog, listeners. Make sure you go. Keith there. has a blog. <laughs> Medlink. Go ahead, Dave. I'm gonna find this. Okay. Hey, and uh, and after uh. They, they complain about a chat room. I set up a chat room. The everyday gamer on Board Game Geek. Okay, anyway. So I set up a chat room, and, like, only uh, Campbell and Jeff seem to use it. Yeah. So if you want to go chat with those guys, they're there, usually. Have at it. It, it does have a countdown timer to uh, CSW Expo, so if that's any. Oh, nice. I want to talk about that. Um, let me get through these names. Andy, Folk. Uh, Aeneas, Andrew from the Kingdom. Um, he's the guy who sent me Most Dangerous Time. Uh, and then we have Gary and Ty who are, who have been active lately. So just quick shout out to those guys. Ty, yes. what's Ty's last name? God damn it. Is it Snoopler? Yeah, I think I'm yeah. friends with him on Facebook. SN something? Yeah, yeah, I'm friends with him on Facebook. Yeah, he has the anime character as his avatar. Who's got the fish? That cartoon fish for their avatar on Board Game Geek. Uh, Third guild member. Yeah, Jason, come on. You don't know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying time. I'm buying time. Yeah, Ty Snofer. He's the fish? No, he's not the fish. Uh, Marshall's already got you on the chore of finding the fish. Mike, Mike Haggerty, who's that? Oh, wow. Who's the fish? I'm looking, Jesus Christ. Hey, so, I like that so, guy from Florida too with the gator. So, so basically we got 9,000 downloads. Oh, are you talking about Mike W. Egg Salad? 
I don't think that's a fish. No, that's a duck. Isn't that a duck? It's like yellow. We, yeah. We, we got 9,000 downloads and we got 78 guild members. So if you're downloading, clearly with four episodes, that puts us at about 17, 1800 people who've listened. So we're like 5%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why would you want to? Because you can just type to us instead of having to listen to us. Yeah, that's true, too. I'm trying to figure out who the fuck the fish is. It's is it Mike the fish eggs, with the Superman salad. on his front? No, it's like a fish blowing bubbles or something. <laughs> that's really fucking gay, and I just wanted to express that. I mean, not gay, and it shouldn't be legally to be married kind of way, or offensive <laughs> kind of way, just fucking stupid. But, it's, hey, it might mean something special to him. Well, I can't find it now. I don't see anybody with the fish. Maybe they laugh because we use foul language. Well, I know it's there. So let's talk about Constant World. Are you still going, Marshall? As far as I know. Now, if this trip to Jamaica turns out to be any account, I might cancel that and take all the money I save and go back to Jamaica. You'll so hate I'm thinking it. about contacting John Kranz and trying to get it, trying to get our own table. Because he, just to have something that we can gather around. Cause he, he'll, he'll give a table to a monster game, but if we just want to set up a quick, you know, pickup game of a distant plane or something, he's not going to schedule that. Well, if we're setting up a game of distant plane, I'm playing somewhere else. Well, that's fine. Are you looking for like an advanced after combat table? That's what I'm saying. Get a little placard or our t-shirts. That'd be all good. Just, just let him go with it, Marshall. Okay, I didn't say nothing. Is that not a good idea? No, I know Marshall, no, Marshall's instinct is to make fun of you now. And I'm just trying to... No, you can make fun. Is, no, make I, fun, I, I but, don't, I don't, no, I don't want to go But first, fun. is it a good idea or is it, don't bother. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. He, Marshall's right, gonna try to critique don't it. Pa- don't patronize me. I'm not, no, no, I'm I, saying it's a good idea. What the don't fuck? Don't argue in front of the listeners. Mom and dad, mom and dad are fighting. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Mike W., egg salad. Is that a fish? Oh, what is it? It's a duck, I, isn't it? It's oh, a bird man. of some sort. I didn't mean it the bad way. I like him. Oh, no, he does go to Virginia, University of Virginia. Mike uh, He's a good guy. He's from Portland. Yeah, he's from Oregon. Yeah, he has some good posts. He probably likes that Ralph Sampson. Oh, Lord. Did he play at University of Virginia? He did. He did yeah. play at UVA. Going back. Anyway, I digress. Hey, anyway, exactly. So, so I, I think I went to Missouri. I think the listeners need to start a guild and say whether, or start a thread and say whether a table at Consum World is a good idea. I don't think it's a bad idea, but does John Kranz like us? Oh, Lord. We swear, so probably not, but. Well, is he, uh, religious? Did we already talk about this once? I think so. Yeah, no, it's it, probably was, it was probably edited previously. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably, this hey. might be too. Yeah, you don't piss him off. Can can we steer this back on the rails a little bit? Well, you can't steer oh. through John Kranz's website. We're going to ask you for a fucking black. <laughs> Just hit previous. Do I hit previous or oldest? I never know which one. Jesus Christ. I want some t-shirts, too. Go ahead, Dave. I did hear all right. sad. Real quick, Dave, and I'll let you finish. I heard that John Kranz and his team at Concept World designed the Obamacare website. Oh, Lord. Really? Yep. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Who'd you hear that from? That's it's, clearly not true. Yeah, because it's still... Did that come from Octavian? Actually, I can't be up talking shit about him. He let me back in when they banned me for life. Go, go ahead, Dave. Mm. 
So we are at an hour and 20. We will cut this. Why? No, I'm just joking. Uh, Go ahead, Dave. We are You're off right. the rails. We are off the yeah. rails officially. All right. So I, we I, can talk about railroad games. If you that's want. when the magic happens, when you go off the rails. I need to get on a more professional podcast where we can actually... Good luck with that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Jason. Jason. Yeah. We, Marshall, let's go. Yeah, we'll start our own podcast and we'll get our own table. Splitters. Splitters. At the, at the flea market. Dave's off the podcast. All right. All right, Dave, what was you going to say? I was going to talk about my trip to Missouri. The West Virginia of the Midwest. Missouri. Penny, mi- Penny Miniatures. I painted miniatures. Let me tell you, I painted so many miniatures for that thing, and I was almost done. I, I had a, I had to ship them out. I, I had to mail them to Missouri, because I wasn't going to sit there staring at some moron TSA guy with a pack of like a big box full of like Revolutionary War figures. So I was on a tough timeline, and I already have talked about how I was sick of painting this stuff, and it really has burned me up. So I was almost done, and I had like a couple of leaders to paint and like an artillery guy, and I was shaking up a bottle of big green paint, maybe like a size of a beer bottle, and it split right down the middle and sprayed green paint all over me, all over the room, in my mouth, in my hair, everywhere. No shit. And I was just like, at that, at that moment. <laughs> It missed my dog that was sleeping nearby, but I was just like, and all I could was, please don't let this paint have gotten on any of the figures I just painted. So, that's the joy of miniature wargaming. Being completely covered in paint. What part of Missouri did you go to? Central Missouri. Uh, I also had a bag, you guys know what lichen is? Like lichen, the little, uh, yeah. for the trees? If you ever feel safe traveling with TSA, don't, because I packed a gallon-sized a Ziploc bag full of that stuff in my carry-on bag, and it rode right through the x-ray machine, and it looks like a big, giant bag of weed. <laughs> I, put it, I put it on my carry-on because I was like, there's no way if I put this in my luggage, they're going to, like, toss my luggage. And that, that TSA person looked right at that big, giant... I was looking at that machine right as she's looking at it. I'm like, okay, let's hear the questions. Big bag of weed goes through. She doesn't even blink an eye. I mean, it was huge. <laughs> Makes me feel better about my trip to Dallas in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so don't worry about it. They're not really looking for anything. Uh, so I set up a big diorama at this historical event that um, my town in Missouri has. Uh, the kids were really cool. They liked it. They thought it was really funny. The adults were... Uh, I, I was reminded of Marshall's thing where he said, Hey, look at all them baby dolls! Like with the games. The, these guys would walk up You'd be sitting at the table, like we're standing there, and this guy would walk up and be like, there'd be like four of them. Like you, in Missouri, you have townspeople, and then you have farm people. So the farm people would kind of drift into town to come through the thing, and like they'd walk up, and one guy would just be like, he'd point at the cannon on the table and be like, I bet that one shoots real far. Oh, like, my God. I'm like, excuse me? He goes, I bet that one shoots real far right there. That one shoots real far. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a cannon. Yeah, it would. He goes, I knew it. I knew that. <laughs> I, like, boy, I told you what. And one lady comes up. She goes, she looks at the table. It's a Revolutionary War battle. She goes, we won this one. We won this one. <laughs> I'm like, what? She goes, I'm the 
I saw we won this battle, we won this war. I was just like, um, yeah, well, we're all Americans, so yeah, we beat the British, and that's kind of, it's just like every, every, out of one out of every 20 people was like some kind of crazy, uh, farm guy that was coming through. Like one guy walks up and he looks at the battlefield and he goes, he just looks and he goes, I bet this would be bigger now. And I was like, bigger like, he goes, nowadays they thought this battle would be bigger, the table would be much bigger. And I'm like, yeah, that's, it's just, you gotta sit there and just kind of deal with people coming. Nice observation, sir. The other thing I noticed is there's a lot of like reenactors there. And, uh, I don't know if you, have you guys ever run into like a, I'm cool with reenactors and, but there were a lot of like German reenactors, like World War II German reenactors. Oh, uh, we just call them racist. Yeah, we, uh, we hang, we, we game with the guy. Sometimes we game with him that he's like, like hardcore German reenactor. These guys were hardcore. They had like the shaved sides of the head with the full yeah. hair on top and they're wearing all the uniforms and they're just strolling through the campsite. I was like, it kind of was weird. Like, and they had like German meals for the weirdest thing was they did a run in one of the mornings. And these guys showed up in Nazi physical fitness gear. Like, like wow. the swastikas, like wearing like white tank tops, like German PT gear, and ran in the run. I was just like, I think at some point you're maybe, I mean, maybe that's how like a black guy might feel if he's at a 7-Eleven and like 10 southern like Confederate reenactors walk in. But I kind of felt like it was a little much. You know, I think the German guys kind of get into it a little bit too much. Well, I know the German guy <laughs> I know. Like, goes to Germany, uh, whatever division he reenacts, and like, like, like does shit for these, like, old veterans of that oh, division. Really? Yeah, it's like, you know how, like, your, uh, Jesus freaks will go to Guatemala and build a church for Pedro and shit? <laughs> you're laughing, I'm not. I'm serious. You know how they fucking do that? I know what you're Cause talking it makes about. them feel fucking better about fucking like you did something or what the fuck ever. But anyway, <laughs> like, this dude, he'll go over, I, I don't remember exactly what division he is, but, um, like, he'll go over and, like, like, re- like they'll go and they'll repair these people's houses and shit. Or, like, people that are still alive are veterans of the division they reenact and shit. Like, he's okay. hard fucking core. Like, he'll show up to the fucking game store and hobnail boots and shit. No, that's what these, like, one kid showed up, and he was a young kid, and we were over in, like, the revolutionary part of the thing. And he comes in his German uniform, he's just talking, he said, yeah, I was going to do revolutionary, but then I hooked up with these guys, and they're great. And I was, okay, if it's about the history, that's cool, but I'm like, oh, I see you got the piping on your, your shoulder cord. I'm like, what does the piping mean? He's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, uh, so he didn't, like, know anything about, like, the history of it. it was more and like, they made me cut my hair. Yeah, it was more like, and cool we thing. go to meetings. Yeah. And- the Nazis is what we call that in West mm-hmm. Virginia. Yeah, so it was kind of, I mean, and I'm sure there's some people who, like, are very, like, wargaming, there's guys who like to play the Germans. Because they have the tiger tanks. And the yeah, they like to play the Germans. Yeah, and they have good generals or whatever. But I mean, like, I remember when I used to run a, my, one of my war games, and I had, like, the first SS Panzer Grenadier Division, and the guys would sit down to play, I'd always say, like, yeah, you guys are the best, you have, like, a Panzer Regiment and all these half-tracks, I said, but also don't forget, right before this battle, you were given a gift of 600 watches that were taken. <laughs> so, there you go. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. But the guys, like, running in the run, I thought was a little bit much. And just kind of the way they walk around, they looked like they yeah. were strolling through the streets of Paris. 
Yeah, PT gear is a little bit much. Yeah. Hey, lady. Yeah, she's getting ready for it. I just got my marching orders for what to do for the cleaning lady. Oh. Yeah, you cleaning for the cleaning lady cracks me up. Why? Why? Because that's her job. Yeah. Right? If you don't, if, why do you have to if clean you don't for pick the up, cleaning Jason, lady? She won't clean it. What? Well, we don't want her to think we're scruffs, do we? Who cares? She's hired help. And we wouldn't want her to think we're scruffs. All right. Let's see. I don't want to know. I don't. I don't want to know the story with the cleaning lady. Which one? We're on our second one. Either one, then. Okay. Yeah. So then, uh, are you, are you trying to hook something up there, Mark? No, I just don't want my shit to get stolen. Uh, I have some heavy metal. Made it back safe from Missouri. Thanks for asking. Hey, you were thanks for sharing. Thanks for coming. I, made, I locked my keys in the trunk of my rental car right before I was about to drive back to the airport. That's a lot of fun, but I made it back. Again, so no worries. Marsh, are you going to go on ghost tours with this cleaning lady? Uh, no, no. Just asking. That's a new cleaning lady. Hey, so hey, let me talk about an easy version of OCS. I got an easy version of OCS for guys to play if they don't want to play the complicated version. If you're if you're kind of nervous about the supply system, you don't want to deal with it. Here's the easy version. You just uh, take the supply points you would get in the scenario. You double it, and that's the number of attacks you can do in the game. Don't even deal with the supply system, and uh, don't use the aircraft. But units have to be within throw range of headquarters to move in combat mode or attack. So when you first get an OCS game, if you want to get used to the combat system, I think that's the way you should do it. Just don't even use supply. And just double your supply points, and that's the number of attacks you can do. Everybody can move as long as they're within uh, for a range of a headquarters and they're in combat. So that's a tip. Where did you come up with that at? My head. Oh, okay. <laughs> in my head. I think of things, Marshall. I think of things. I, that's I have good smart. ideas. I have good ideas Dave's too. A, Dave's a sharp motherfucker, man. I have good ideas. Careful. About, can we talk about liar's dice? Ah. Um, can I talk about discipline? I probably should have talked oh, about yeah. that a while sure. ago. I think I'm probably 30 minutes too late to talk about a discipline. But I've played it four times over the last um, about a month, I guess. It's been since I've had it. I played it twice solo. Um, I played it once in person with Callendale. Who does the war game? Wow, games. where did you rub elbows with him at, Jason? Yeah, that's how I roll, man. That guy's I'm, hilarious. I love Calendell. Yeah, I love the construction so that's constantly going on in his apartment complex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he lives about forty minutes from me, and one of the local game groups meets about ten minutes drive from him. So we hooked up. Um, I guess about two weeks after the game came out, at one of those. Um, I tried to, it's interesting, I tried to organize a four-player game of it there. No one, no one there wanted to play a distant plane because they might have to be the Taliban. They would be, um, you know, the, the FARC or the AUK in Andy Nabis, and they would be, I don't know what the gorillas are called in Cuba Libre, they would be those. But they wouldn't be the Taliban, which I find very, very interesting. Yeah, that's weird. Um, yeah, it's they'll play Nazis, but they won't play freedom fighters. Um, oh, freedom anyway. fighters who uh, shoot women in the head for getting education, stuff like that. If, 
You gotta fight for your freedom. <laughs> your freedom against women and everything. They're oppressive, trust me. <laughs> no comment. No comment. I shouldn't have commented that. Any anyway, so he and I got together and played and that game took about seven hours. And I think honestly, I think it soured him from the game because it because it took so long. But it was just he and I playing all four factions. But it was really fun. I well, I really like him. Well, Braxton, a lot of Braxton reported from his GMT West AR. Yeah, his took like nine it, hours, right? It took them a long time to play, too. Yeah. And ours, the last propaganda card was the very last card in the deck, which kind of kind of sucks. But anyway, and then I'm playing right now, I'm playing with um, uh, Terry Simo. He designed that Cactus Air Force game, okay. that GMT game with the god-awful cover art. Uh, Joel Eddy, who does the, he does Euro, mostly Euro video games, or videos about games. Uh, and one other guy, Nathan Lee. So we're playing, uh, on Vassal right now, and I'm doing terribly. I can't, for some reason, can't keep track. <coughs> and in all of the game, or both opposed games, I guess, I've played as the Taliban, because I don't, I honestly don't have any problem playing as the Taliban. But, so, four games of this, I've played Annie and Abyss, I guess, four times. Uh, and then Cuba Libre I haven't played, because I, I can't own all three. Uh, I sold Annie and Abyss, I think we've already talked about that. So, A Distant Plane is the Afghanistan War. I think uh, Brian Train, one of the designers, called it the fifth Afghani War. So the coin games, there's four factions, uh, each turn. Two factions get to take a turn. Uh, the turns are based on a card play. No one has a hand of cards, it's just a deck. Two cards are face up. One is active and one's coming up next. Uh, in this, the factions are the coalition, which for all intents and purposes, it's the U.S. Uh, there's the government, which is the <clears throat> native Afghani government, the warlords, and the Taliban. They they all want something different. The coalition wants support for the government, uh, the and to have as as few troops as possible in country. The government all they really care about is control. So they don't even care if they're supported. They just want to have control of a province. The warlords kind of want anarchy. They don't want anyone in control. Uh, and the Taliban wants opposition to the current regime. I don't, I don't know how in depth we need to get into the coin games, um, but am I am I alone here? Well, no, we're listening. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. It hasn't been this quiet for me. Um, I haven't talked this much. Um, how does it feel, Jason? Are you? It's uncomfortable. I'm I'm nervous. You got the baton. You have the yeah, dog. I don't like being. <laughs> I don't like being in this. I have the conch. I don't like being in this. Don't ball. worry. You sound really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I've had about five whiskeys. Nice. Started. Yeah, it's um, good. You're doing a good job. Thank you. I just, really, I just paused for the encouragement. I just need some encouragement every, every now and again. Thank you so, in there, buddy. <laughs> you doing great, little kipper. <laughs> so, uh, a distant plane, I think, is definitely the most complex of the of the three games so far, uh, Annie and Abyss is pretty straightforward. Um, I think from what I've read of Cuba Libre, 
it's even more straightforward because the map is so small. It's pretty evident what you're supposed to be doing. Um, in both of those games, Cuba Libre and Anandibus, there are three guerrilla factions uh, and one government faction. In this, there's basically two government factions and two guerrilla factions. So the government and coalition need to mostly work together, but their objectives are at opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and then obviously the warlords want no governance. No, not no governance. They want no control. So they just kind of want to wreak havoc wherever they go. And the Taliban wants just opposition. So they're on their own. The warlords are on their own. The coalition and the government are working together, but to opposite means, which is very interesting. There's a lot of marker movement, which the other games don't really have in them. Um, every Everything is tracked. So control is tracked. Um, opposition is tracked. Support is, is tracked. So, so it, it's a lot to keep track of while you're while you're playing, um, and the interaction between the factions is is definitely more complex. The rules are pretty much the same, the actions are pretty much the same. You're marching, you're rallying, you're attacking, um, you're terrorizing. But the interplay, I think, is where this game gets more complex. So in Annie and Abyss, it's it's pretty straightforward. Hey, here's what here's what I need to do. In this game. Um, and I'm doing a terrible job at, of it right now as the Taliban. I'm supposed to be going in and wiping out coalition and government forces and, and getting my guys in there so that I can have support and build bases. Or I, I don't need support, I need opposition. Um, the interesting thing for me is the interplay between the coalition and the government. So the coalition has what the game considers unlimited resources. So they're not tracked. In the other games, and in, and in this game, the other factions all have a resource marker. Everything's tracked. You're trying to get resources so that you can do actions. Every, whenever it's your turn, you can take whatever actions you want, or you can take one, one action in as many spaces as you want, as long as you can pay for it. And this, the coalition can do as much as they want. However, if they use government forces, they have to use government resources. So the, the coalition can do whatever they want, but where they can do it is limited based on the government. Um, they can then do more actions using government troops and government forces, but they have to, have to spend those government resources. The government is trying to stop the coalition from gaining support wherever they are. They just want troops to be in as many spaces, having control of as many spaces as they can. So they're fighting for to keep those resources and spend them how they want, um, and the coalition can, can kind of spend them willy-nilly. That interplay right there sets this game apart by far. It's such a fine balance, and you're, every faction, I think even more than Andy and Abyss, which still has a lot of that kind of razor's edge. This has it times 10. The, the suspense, the, the interplay between the factions is, is all there. Now, um, Jason, do they, do they have a cart flip? Is it the same kind of thing where, you, like, is any in Abyss where you have an order that you can play? 
Yeah, the, the, the system is exactly the same. There's one card up that you get to act on. You can see the next card up that can potentially be act on on each card. Um, each, each card can have two factions act, act on it. If you pass, you get resources, um, going into the next card. And it has the same, <laughs> the same, uh, sequence of, op- of operations. Who gets to go when? That's all, all still there from, from Annie the Abyss. So each card has on it four symbols at the top. Each symbol corresponds to one of the factions saying who gets to go when in order. Um, if you took some, if you took an action the turn before, you don't get to, get to act on, on the current, okay. the current card. So it's, it's the same system, but the, the complexity of the interplay is a lot different. Also, what's di- what's different in this game is um, so in the shorter scenarios and the short and medium scenario, you discard. I think it's twenty four and twelve cards. Those cards, if they have um, what the game refers to as capabilities, uh, if if those capability cards are discarded for the initial setup, those capabilities take place during the game. So in in a distant plane, the scenarios, the short one is the last couple years of the war. Um, the middle one is the the second half of the war, and then the whole scenario is the whole war. <clears throat> so what those capabilities, I guess, are simulating is, hey, this shit's already happened. Um, the Taliban has these capabilities already. The coalition has these capabilities, so, already, which is, is a lot different. What are some examples of capabilities? Um, I don't know the names. I don't know the names of them off the top of my head, but some of them for the coalition is like when you airstrike, you can airstrike um, underground gorillas as well as uh, activated gorillas. For the Taliban, when you it's it's called suicide bombers. If you terrorize, you get to remove an additional unit. So it's doing more damage um, on both sides. Some of the coalition ones let the coalition attack into Pakistan, which um, you can't do unless that capability is in place. So even just having those capabilities in general, which I don't think Annie and Abyss has, it has the momentum cards, which take place until the next propaganda this has capabilities which happen. If you take that event, that capability is in place for the rest of the game. Well, aren't there some cards that, like, uh, in Indian Abyss, like, isn't there, like, an airstrike? There are some cards that you can play, I thought, that, that last. I think they just last until the next oh, moment, or the next propaganda yeah. card. I've only played... So, Indian Abyss still has that, the momentum cards, but it has these capability cards, which add more to keep track of, more more abilities... The ones for the coalition, especially, are brutal. I mean, you get a couple, um, and it's all like the drone strike kind of. There's, I think, three, three cards that are. It's like predator. Um, I can't remember the names, but all kind of drone centric cards. That if all three of those show up, it's it's pretty, pretty powerful in favor of the coalition. Um. It's probably too late in the podcast. <laughs> too late in the podcast for me to be talking about this, dude. Um, I told you, you got to do the reviews early. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, 
I learned from my <laughs> Conflict of Heroes review, where I was like, yeah, and, and there's stuff, and there's other things. And there's stuff, <laughs> and it's nice, and I like yeah. it. Um, I put up a video of it, and I'm sure in the sit-down video I did of it, I, I say what I'm trying to say a little bit better. Um, I'm sure I still ramble. But I li- I like this game a lot better than Annie and Abyss, and I like Annie and Abyss. This game, Dave, I know you said you feel like, you know, two or three plays of a coin game is enough for you. This is a game I could see myself playing over and over again throughout the years. If I play it twice a year, would that, that would be a lot for me. Um, if I play it twice a year for the next five or ten years, I could definitely see that happen. I could see it happening probably four times a year for the next 10 years. It's, there's that much, I think, to explore. Um, and maybe when Fire in the Lake comes oh, yeah. out, which is the I think both, Vietnam both game they're doing. Fire in the Lake. Yeah, which is supposed to be even a step up in complexity from this. Um, a little bit more wargamey, more units on the map, more oh, cool. maneuver. Um, it, it definitely, that's that's exactly my thought. It bodes well for Fire in the Lake. When that comes out, maybe I'll think, you know what, I can get rid of a distant plane. But but for now, this is the card game for me. It's 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 not a card game in Twilight Struggle or Labyrinth or nineteen eighty nine or uh, Washington's War, where you have a hand of cards. But not, I think even not having the hand of cards, having just, here's the factions that can operate, having to deal with that every turn, it it gives the same feel of a card game without the hand management, like, gaminess of it. It takes some of that gaminess out of it. It's, without saying, oh, it's a lot of fun, it's it's a lot of fun. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, how many gears? Yeah. Complexity wise, um, complexity wise, it's probably, it's a, it's a 12 scale, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess it could go higher. We've never had a beer. We've never had a game higher than 12. It's probably four or five. I mean, there's, because the rules are, it's a lot of must and may intricacy, you know, like, uh, the coalition must do this, the Taliban may do this kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So keeping track of that can limit a, a, a 10 or 12 beers. Storm was, Storm over Stalingrad is probably like a, like a 10. This is probably, I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a five. Wow. It's, it's not, is that a, is that? I thought Andy the Abyss was about a four or five. I mean, cause just there's, I kept on having to look back to see what I could do. Well, there's, there's still that, but it's on that handy dandy player mm-hmm. aid. So, I, I take that as it's not, you're not looking at the rules, you're looking at player aid. Yeah, I was playing cartels, which is probably the easiest. You can take it, you can take it, basically, if you know Annie and Abyss, you can almost take this game with just the player aid and start playing it. There's, you still need to read the rules, obviously, but all you need to know is what can I do? Um, and then when a propaganda card comes up, you read the propaganda rules and follow that step by step. So I don't think it's terribly complex, but it's definitely a step up from from Anonymous. So if you gave Anonymous a four, this would be a three, but I would give it a five, I think. Okay. 
uh, complexity. Fun, I think, is is eight out of ten. Okay. Um, and even on the, you know, because I take things from a, a fun scale and an interesting scale or an engaging scale. The engaged scale is up at an up at an eight too. I mean, it's fun and it's intellectually engaging. Nice. Yeah, it's probably not terribly. It's not a word, but simulatory. You're just um, making shit up at this point. I'm, I'm math. Ma- I'm math. Right, this is the guy who put math <laughs> That's a fucking word. That is not a word. Nope. That is not a word. Um, it's 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 fun and it's intellectually engaging, and I feel constrained, but also free enough to do what I'm trying to do as the faction I'm playing. And when I'm playing a war game, that's that's what I that's what I look for. I don't need a scripted play of of how it's going. I want to be presented with the same situation, and and I think that's what any of this does. Oh, you mean this complaint? Uh, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Andy Nib- Andy Nabis does it. A distant plane doesn't right, matter. Right, there you go. Nice save. I've had way too That's much. good. That's what makes a good podcast. Someone else talk for a little bit. Hey, uh, Marsh, do you have anything you want to talk about? No, bad time is rapidly approaching. Well, let me, let yeah, me just, like we, we have a quick bonus offer. I was going to talk about a quick drinking game called Liar's Dice. Oh, so, so it's oh. a bonus offer when you talk about gay games, but Jason and I aren't allowed to talk about them. No, this is a drinking game. So oh. it's totally relevant. Okay, so if you're sitting around in the bar and you got a bunch of people and you got a cup that you can't see through and you got two two dice because you're a nerd, so somehow you're in a bar and you have two dice in your pocket, it's going to be two six-sided dice. And you, sit. you guys don't travel with dice. <laughs> Maybe we'll play at a Constant World Expo. The way this game works is you roll the dice under the cup, you look at it, you pass it on to the person next to you and tell him what it is. He has to beat what you roll. The way the dice count up is... It's a 31. Tw- 21 is a Mexican. It's the best roll you can get, like blackjack. Take it easy. 31 is a social. If you roll a 31, you're always going to say the higher number first. 31 is a social. You lift up the cup and everyone has to take a drink. 32 is a reversal. That means the cup's going to go in the opposite order. So it starts clockwise. It goes back counterclockwise if you get a 32. If you roll another 32, you show everybody, and then it goes the other way. After that, you're always just going to call the top numbers first. Uh, so you might have a 43 or a 53. Doubles beat everything else. Double ones, double twos, double threes, double fours, double fives, double sixes, and then 21s at the top. So when you roll a die, you roll the dice under the cup, and you hand it to a guy, you tell him twos. So his choice is he can either roll it and hand it to the next, look at it and hand it to the next guy and say, he has to say something higher than twos, like threes, fours, fives, sixes, or Mexican. Or he can say bullshit, pick up the cup, and if it's not twos, you have to drink. If it is twos, then the guy who pulls the cup has to drink. So you're basically trying to call his bluff. If you pull it up because you think the guy's lying to you, and it actually is what he said, then you have to drink. If you ever get a Mexican handed to you, you have to drink half your beer. If if uh, someone gives you a Mexican <laughs> and you pull the cup, and if someone gives you a Mexican and you pull the cup up and you say that's bullshit, then you have to drink your entire beer. 
How many pages of rules this is, is this? Like, you just set the bar with the fucking Tales of the Arabian Nights rule book. <laughs> that's just the whole thing. You wrote a dirty Sanchez. Now you gotta eat the urinal cake. You pass the best of the game. He's gotta beat your role. That's it. I don't think there is a rule book for this, Marshall. That's not the liar's dice I know. I thought talk about the one from the Pirates of Caribbean movies. No. That's the one. This is the drinking game. So basically, you gotta beat the role the guy gives you. Either you. Honestly, no one has ever handed me a Mexican. I can I can say oh, that. Oh really? In fact. Well, if we yeah, go to Constant World, I'm gonna hand you any Mexican. <laughs> You'll hand me a Mexican at or two. Advance after combat social, and if you don't think there's a Mexican at, at our cup, at our table at Constant World, if I you don't think there's a Mexican under the cup, you're gonna be drinking an entire beer. <laughs> All right, listen to this. I got an announcement to make. Thank you for listening to this episode of Advance After Combat. Be sure to tune in next episode where we bring you an in-depth review of Beer Pong. <laughs> uh, that's Five that's just hurtful. Why? He didn't say bicycle. I couldn't stop it. Is that the, isn't bicycle the end? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I thought th- I thought that was really going to be the end. We can keep going. Well, fuck, man! I want to hear more about this these these rules. Well, I'm trying to teach Marshall a 15-beer game, and he doesn't even seem to understand it. I don't know if anybody knows. I'm fucking sober, so... I, really, you're all the drunkies. I'm sober. Well, that's shocking. It's true. I'm bringing a rattlesnake. We can that game, that I gave it away. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I don't know. You should buy when one. are you guys going to play Hammer of the Scots? It's kind of sad. I'm getting ready to go away, and I don't know when I'll be back, so... Sometime in January, we'll be playing Hammer of the Sky. That's what it seems like. It's got Christmas coming up. Y'all didn't get me a fucking thing for my birthday. Nope. Me neither. Good uh, wishes. Blessings. I said I love you. Oh, I love you too. You did. That's right. You did text me telling tell me you love me. I don't need no blessings. Hey, listen, I gotta work tomorrow. I'm fucking tired. Then Bye, stop Sigma. talking. Stop talking. Bye. Y'all Bye. continue. Bye, Sigma. Bye. Bye. Visit us at http colon slash slash bardgamegeek.com slash build slash one six six zero or contact us at advance after combat at gmail.com. I don't know what the fucking unit types are.